every time I fail, I learn so much more and it motivates me more. And it's almost like I've never liked success because success scares me more than failure does. But like as soon as I succeed, it's kind of, it's been like a reoccurring theme. It's like, I, I want to go do something else. That was Arielle Fitzgerald, and this is episode eight of the Inspired Souls podcast. Hi, I'm Carolyn, and I'm a roadrunner. And I'm Kim, and I'm a trail runner. Welcome to our podcast, where we bring the communities of trail and road running together and explore the parallels between running and life. Today, we're talking with Arielle Fitzgerald, who I met back in the fall of 2012 when she was just 18 years old. We trained together for parts of 2013 and 2014, where she routinely kicked my butt in 5K road races. Since then, Ariel has gone on to become an accomplished athlete with incredible range. She played many sports in high school, but absolutely dominated in the long and triple jump before becoming very sick for several years. After regaining her health, she ran one speedy road marathon at the age of 21 before finding her groove in ultra running and obstacle course racing shortly thereafter. She holds two Guinness World Records, the first for setting the fastest 50K on a treadmill en route to setting the fastest 100K on a treadmill. Amongst all of her incredible highs, there have also been many lows, which Arielle opens up about in this episode. I think it's safe to say that this girl has lived many lifetimes in her short 26 years on the planet, and we can hardly wait to see what she gets up to next. Without further ado, let's dive into our conversation with the amazing Arielle Fitzgerald. Well, hello, Ariel, and welcome to Inspired Souls. It's so amazing to reconnect with you. Yes, thank you, guys, for, girls, for having me. I'm so excited to talk. Yeah, so I thought it would be fun uh, for maybe everybody to know that Ariel and I used to train together way back in like 2012 to 2014. So I'm sure we're going to get into that story, but it'd be great if you could just give our listeners a little synopsis, like who is Ariel Fitzgerald? So I'm Ariel. I'm originally from uh, Toronto, but I grew up uh, in Battawa and that's where I met Carolyn. And then I sort of bounced around the country a little bit and now I live in Calgary, Alberta. I've been here for about five years, and I'm 26 years old. I do happen to know that your athletic career kind of started on the track, didn't it? Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So in high school, I was mainly a long jump and triple jumper. And due to some health conditions, I sort of landed my way into more endurance running. I want to regain my health. And it's so funny. I was going back through old workout logs, and I had an email from your brother, Carolyn, and it's like, for those of you who don't know, Ariel is not actually an endurance athlete. She used to be a long jump and triple jump. <laughs> <laughs> it's oh my goodness. So funny. Because it's like when we were training together for 5Ks, and now I like consider 5Ks like so short. It's just yeah. So yeah. Funny. <laughs> it's an all out sprint. Like 5Ks <laughs> are not long distance. I know. It's so funny. Oh my goodness. Okay. So maybe take us from, how did you go from long jump, triple jump? Like you were quite accomplished in long and triple jump in high school, weren't you? Like provincial awards. Okay. Can you talk about that? And then how did, how did that, you sort of transition from there to the 5k? So in 2010, I, I guess I could say like I ended my career on like, I broke 13 meet records that year. I was undefeated. I one offsa for long jump. I was starting to be like recruited for like NCAA long jump and triple jump track teams. And like a track scholarship was sort of like the route I was going to go. And then I started to have like really bad like IBS symptoms and just like my body started to deteriorate the next year. And unfortunately, I lost a ton of weight, a ton of muscle mass. Um, and it's kind of spent the next year on bed rest just because my body was very malnourished and wasn't absorbing anything so then once I finally regained my health I didn't really want to go back down the route of long jump and triple jump just because I was one of those moments where you're a clean slate of some new sport so so much more attractive than just going back to comparing myself to who I used to be and that's when I was like oh I'll start running because running was one of those activities that was easier for me to do as I started to regain my health. And that's when I started training for the 5Ks with you guys. 
Mm-hmm. So are you comfortable talking about that time in your life? Because it was like you had, I think, what we would now call leaky gut syndrome, right? But yeah. back then, there was almost like zero knowledge about that, correct? Absolutely. And it's it's interesting, like, that is part of the reason why I went back and started to study holistic nutrition is because there was like no information on anything. Mm-hmm. The only information was is like the textbook, like you're, I was very tiny. Like I didn't have a lot of weight to lose to begin with. So when you lose 10 pounds and you're already kind of underweight, you look anorexic. So it's like, you look anorexic, you have an eating disorder. And I went totally down that route and like they put me in in treatment and I agreed to go for the first few weeks just like not knowing what was going on. You sort of start to question like maybe I do have an eating disorder, maybe, you know, like you really start to question like who you are. And honestly, I went to these groups and I think I went three sessions and I came home and I was like, I'm not going back. I said like, (sighs) this is just like beyond anything I can comprehend. Like, is is just so was not what I was dealing with, like hearing because it's like a, it's open conversations and like hearing what they're dealing with versus what I'm dealing with. It was like, this is not the same, like this is apples and oranges type of thing. So I refused to go back. And that was tough because like it was interesting because the only reason they sent me there was because of this number on the scale. But like yeah. all the other and, and my heart, my heart was slowing down because I was tiny. Um, mm-hmm. but they didn't like my bo- like bone density, like all my other numbers were really good. So I find it funny now, like, okay, so they wanted to box me in this box based on size and nothing else. Right. What, like, but what was that? T- I'm just trying to put myself in your shoes and like, it would be so frustrating. I would um, imagine yeah. when you're like, but I'm eating all this stuff. Like you were, yeah. you were eating so much. It's just, you weren't absorbing anything. anything. So for people listening that don't understand what leaky gut is or haven't heard of leaky gut, it is like your body is just, isn't absorbing the nutrients. They're just kind of passing right on through. So Ariel was like tiny. Like, what did you weigh at your lowest? I was five, five and like 65 pounds. Yeah, like you were so tiny. Yeah. But but again, what I really want to get into is like, so you have all these people saying you're tiny, you must have an eating disorder. And I guess you get to a point where you eventually believe <laughs> like, oh, okay, well, I guess I do. I should yeah, I always say like, I should have sent you guys this because I wrote a I have like a blog entry on on it. And I'll send it to you guys after you want to read. Oh, but, yeah, we'll put it in the show notes. Um, I said, like, if somebody tells you something enough times, you're eventually going to believe it. It's like if you yeah. call someone fat enough, they're going to believe that they're fat. And if, you know, it's like it's, it's kind of it's the exact same. Like if you tell somebody and then I think like your senior years of high school, they're tough to begin with. And I just like is a bit of like identity crisis. I was this track star and now I'm this sick girl. Like I went mm-hmm. from like track practice to like weekly EKGs and blood work analysis. Like it was just like so tough and then you sort of take on this new identity it was hard because like your family doesn't believe you like your friends don't believe you and I was like stubborn like I'm not going I'll fix this myself and that is what led me down the road of like paleo and primal and I think that's part of the reason why I like ended up running with you guys because you guys like you know like you had your whole philosophy around training Mm -hmm. you know I started researching like Rob Wolf, Mark Sisson, um, Sarah Valentine, who does like a lot of research in leaky gut. And I was like, this is, this is exactly what's going on. Um, like I grew up on white bread and margarine and chocolate chip cook, like just the worst <laughs> diet ever. Yeah. Simple so I'm, like, carbs. It makes no, it makes total sense that I have this. Yeah. Leaky gut. Like I was colic as a baby, like just the whole history of myself. Like it, it made total sense. So then you like, you know what's going on, but you're like, okay, I'm still skinny and it's probably going to take me four years to look healthy. You know, it's just like hard. But what was that time like when it felt like nobody was listening to you? It was lonely, but it was also like, I think as a competitive person, I hooked more onto the like, I'm going to prove you wrong. Like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to, this is my little project. Like, I can't compete anymore. So I'm going to prove you guys sort of all wrong. 
and then that kind of gave me excitement like it gave me like a purpose every single day you know when you're sick and you don't know why you're sick that's the hardest part but then as soon as you think you know what's wrong you feel more control and able to fix it and I think that's how I felt I felt like I had a solution and I knew what I need to do and I could just now do it it really is interesting to me how you said, I'm just going to go back to what you said about being felt like you were put on a box yeah. based on your size. We hear that all the time for people on the other end of the scale, right? You know, I'm overweight, I'm obese, I'm fat. You felt that on the opposite end of the spectrum. And it's just fascinating to me that, you know, it can happen at both ends. And you're right. Like, even in the 21st century, we're still doing that to people. Yep. Like, it's not right. Yep. Mm-hmm. It's, mm-hmm. I'm like, people don't fit neatly in boxes. Like, you know, no. we don't, we aren't meant to be classified. We aren't meant to be labeled. Um, I think, like, a lot of the noise that's being heard in female endurance sports right now is really, really good. And, like... Um, skinny isn't faster and just some of like red s and I think had we had more of that awareness I do remember my high school track coach we went out for lunch and I was lucky in the sense that I had lots of good mentors and I had enough people who believed that I was not lying in this you know what I mean like I had Mm -hmm. enough people who knew I ate who saw me eat who knew that I was not like that wasn't what was going on. Okay, so hold on. Yeah. You just said you felt like you were being accused of lying. Yeah. So the deepest core of this is you felt your integrity was being questioned. Yeah. Yeah. That's huge. Yeah. For for a young adult moving into like adult years, that's that's your identity like you said and you're you're basically being questioned as to your integrity. Yeah. I never thought of it like that, but yes, that's exactly what was going on. So my track coach, for example, like we sat down and she says, like, I know what's like, I know your, your body didn't take you where your mind wanted to go. And I know that there's, we don't know what's going on, but I know what they're telling you is going on is not the case. And I like really hooked onto that. I was like, she believes me, right? She Mm -hmm. believes that this is, this is that what I'm telling her is, the truth and like they wanted to put me in inpatient they wanted to put me in hospital setting and that's when I was like enough's enough like I don't care like I am not going down that way there's no way I'm going into a hospital setting where I'm forced to live by their rules eat things that I know are going to make me sick because at the time I knew like when I ate like bread my stomach would like bloat completely out and have like I'd be like curled up in a ball with like pain and I was like, I'm not going there because they don't let you out until you hit this box, like until you fit back in that box. And I was like, I'm not going there. I refuse. I'm not going there. So I said, like, to my parents, I was like, just give me two months, two months on this new way. I'm going to change my diet. Like at the time, I like did not really eat a whole lot of vegetables. I was on like the processed food. So I was like, changed, took on this whole new lifestyle. And two months later, I started to gain like that. I didn't, I was still small, but I gained that like life in my face again. So I felt Mm -hmm. like they could tell that like, you have life back. I looked like I had life back in me. And so that was sort of enough to help move them, move along. And then my heart results started to improve and all of that because I was finally starting to absorb some of these nutrients again. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I just love, I love this story so much because once you had, like, it was that, that limbo where you didn't really know what was going on. That was the worst, right? Because there yeah. was just nothing you could really do about it. But the minute that you got even a, a hypothesis of what could be going on, uh, you know, from listening to the podcast and following Rob Wolf and all that, um, you were like, okay, I've got a plan. And I just, I think that <laughs> speaks to kind of your personality, right? Like your competitiveness, your like type A, right? Yep. <laughs> to just be like, okay, cool. I'm going to run with this. Yes. You also didn't necessarily know what was right, no. but you sure as hell knew what was wrong. Absolutely. And you, you knew that going in that treatment center was not right. Yeah. <laughs> and you let your internal compass guide you to find yeah. eventually what was right. Yeah. Correct? Yeah. Yeah. So what year, what year is this, Ariel? And, and take us through kind of the next 
couple of years as you you kind of started to regain some of your health? So that would have been 2012, 2013. 2012 was I took a full year off. I just like worked on getting healthy again. I was like my own guinea pig on whatever was going on. I was not healthy enough to go off to university. But then I decided to go to school. I took like my bachelor's of science. I was going to the University of Dalhousie, but I was attending the satellite campus. So since I attended the satellite campus, I couldn't race in NCAA. I had to race in the CCAA, so the Canadian College Athletic Association. So I was racing in the college branch of cross country. And that year I broke the Atlantic Provincial record for 5K. And it was pretty intense because you're racing every single weekend almost. And I remember I kept in touch with Kevin, who had been my coach going into it. And he was sending me workouts. And I think that year I was doing a lot of training by myself. But then I would also go up and train with um, the Dalhousie University team just because like I was the fastest runner on my team, male and female. Like I was, I had like no one else to run with. Like I still like those girls on the university team, like it's a much more competitive division, but I just like, it was nicer to have like more of that, like there's more girls running. So then I started to get recruited by other universities. So St. Avex, they wanted me to go run for their team the following year. So it, it started to be like this, like, flashback of what was going on in 2010 of just like all these people like wanting to be a part of my success and like trying to move me to school and I was like it was too soon like I was well that's what I was gonna ask like did it feel like you're just going down the exact same road almost like your relationship to sport yes and I think it was like going back to like I still didn't know who I was or what I wanted like I I felt like I spent 10 years as a long jump and triple jumper like a competitive like provincial champion year after year after year like that was where I was going yeah I hated running I hated it (laughs) I used to sit on the side of the track and be like who does that like that is awful like spoiler alert she does a whole lot more running in the rest of her um career but anyways go ahead I know I just like didn't understand it and I like I would run cross country with my high school in the off season it was my off season it was fun I ate peanut butter jam sandwiches and I hung out with my friends like I raced you know I just like for me I just never liked running that much like running is hard and it never gets easier. Like it just always is hard. <laughs> so I just like, so I went to nationals. I went into nationals. I think I had like a pulled quad or hamstring. I just had like, I was mentally checked out. I was like, I do not want to run this race. But I was also one of the favorites to come top three at this race. And just, it was too soon is ultimately what it comes down to. And I never want to run after that. Like after that national race is like, I don't want to do this anymore. I thought competitive athletics wasn't for me. I thought I couldn't handle the stress or the pressure. Meanwhile, you like take into consideration, like you're doing a full course load. You're going back to school. I just spent the last year on bed rest. Like I I'm, I was in a controlled environment for a year. And now I'm trying to deal with all these things as well as maintain like a stupid unnecessary average right like it's just like it was too much pressure this was around 2014 then that would have been 2013 I only went to a race 2013 and then um that year my dad's house burnt down so I had a really hard time in the winter semester I started to like I think I I started to have like my like leaky gut like it flares up with stress like it still flares up today like sometimes if I'm under a lot of stress I can't work out for two weeks because I'm in the washroom every time I try Mm. so it's still like it always flares up and it's something like it doesn't go away you just kind of got to manage it but now that I learned to manage it I can manage it and not lose like all the weight like beforehand so that's kind of what happened is I had like an IBS flare up again I was so burnt out from school. My dad's house burnt down. Like it was Mm. just like an awful end of semester. And I was like, I'm not going. Like I was going to go to St. Avex to study nutrition. I was like, I'm not doing this. And that's when I went down and started to study this holistic nutrition. I was like close to home. I could live like in Toronto. Started studying that. Uh, Just I started going to like, yoga I did a lot of yoga I biked so 
this is how it happened. I didn't own a car, so I biked everywhere. And I just ran for fun and go to yoga. And then I'd work at Whole Foods and go to school. And I did that for about a year and a half. And then I broke my arms. This is part of the story. Going into how I ran my first uh, debut into ultra marathoning. I broke my arm. I turned 21 this year. And I broke my arm in a snowboarding accident. So I was in this like cast for six weeks. So I was just walking everywhere. I couldn't do anything. I literally would walk to work and walk home from work. I just didn't know what to do with myself. And um, I remember listening to a podcast about this guy who ran 100 kilometers. And I was like, oh, my God. It's like I want to run like a half marathon for my 21st birthday, like 21 kilometers, 21 years. Um, but I was like, hmm, maybe I'll do a 100-kilometer race. And literally, I'm like still in a cast. Like I can't even run right now. I'm like, call my mom. I'm like, I think I'm going to do this 100-kilometer race. I said, I think it will like – it'll just be like time on feet. Like I'll just be like – I walk all day now, so I'm sure I can walk all day and like walk 100 kilometers. Like it, it like, I'll just be fine. <laughs> My mom was like, okay. I was like, yeah, I just signed up. I'm going to fly to Vancouver, Victoria Island by myself. I said, my cast comes off like next week. I can start running six weeks. Like, it'll be fine. Like, I don't, I just, as long as I keep moving, I'm sure I'll get it done. I have no idea like what a hundred kilometers looks like. Um, <laughs> like, I, I know I could, like before I broke my arm, I could run for a couple hours. Like I knew that was possible. I just didn't know what a hundred kilometers looked like. So <laughs> anyways, the hardest thing about like learning to run again was like I couldn't remember how to swing my arm like it was my right arm. So I like would stand in the mirror and just like try and practice swinging my arm like if I was running because I couldn't like get the motion right. Um, that was entertaining. So yes, I registered for the elk beaver. At the time, I had like no idea what what was going to happen. Um, like no fueling ideas, like nothing. My plan was to take a flight to Vancouver and then from fly Vancouver to Victoria, I booked a place. It wasn't that far. I could walk to the start line if I had to. I started working with an ultra marathon coach for six weeks um, to do like just to figure out what the heck I'm supposed to be doing, which is really just you're just running. My work at Whole Foods at the time had found out that I was going to run this race so they they needed somebody to represent the company in the Mississauga Marathon so they're like Errol will you do this Mississauga Marathon for us I'm like sure I have to do a Sunday long run anyway so it'll just be like a taper run they're like well do you want the day off I'm like no 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 so I biked to this marathon ran this marathon and then went to work afterwards but I, <laughs> I remember like showing up and I had a plastic water bottle and like a handful of like gummy bears. Like I honestly, I'm I wish I was exaggerating, but I'm not. I had no idea what I was doing. Was that your first marathon? I hadn't run further than five K in a race before this marathon. Like it was Oh my lord. Beyond <laughs> What did you do the marathon in? So I'm running and I'm like five K. I'm like, I've never really raced further than this. And then at the half marathon mark, people like split off. And then with 7K to go, like, someone gave me this gel. So I took that, and I was like, I felt like I had a new pair of legs. So I just, like, <laughs> I'm just, like, running. And next thing I know, I have a bike next to me. And I'm like, bike? And there's, like, third-place female. And I'm like, what the heck? So anyways, it was – I ran 301 that year. And, again, I had no idea what marathon times meant, like, anything – I ran negative splits, which was like another, apparently a huge big deal. Um, apparently. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I get to work and I'm just like on adrenaline. I'm just like, I don't know what happens. Like anyways, um, my friend calls me Yuda, who's also in the neighborhood. And Yuda's like a 240 marathoner. Like she's a very elite marathoner. And she had been racing Scotiabank Marathon that day. And she calls me and she's like, did you just run a marathon? Like, I think I saw your name on the list. Like, what is going on? I said, yeah. I said, yeah, I don't know, like 301. Like, she's like, Ariel, like, that's a big deal. <laughs> I'm like, oh, is it? <laughs> so, I, re I remember hearing about that. I'm like, of course Ariel did. Because <laughs> you're, like, we had been running together and you're like a low 19, high 18 minute 5K runner. Or maybe yeah. you were even faster than that when you 
raced at the on the college circuit there. But not really. Like I am like it's like I'm not a 5K and 10K. You're obviously made to go long. So six days later, what do you do? So six days later, I'm like, well, I'll do the exact same plan I did for the marathon. I showed up with a plastic water bottle, a handful of gummy bears. I had some ebooks downloaded on my phone. I, Perfect. I just was set. So <laughs> I started. This is I started. I had a coat on. And the ultra marathon community—they're lovely. Like it's just like it's not as competitive as a, I shouldn't say competitive, but everyone's you're there all day together. So people are gonna help you out. And I remember mm-hmm. that race. There's a 50k. There's a 10k. And there's a 100k. And you run the same loop like 10 times. So it's like mentally quite easy in a sense. You just like check off these loops and the loop's very pretty. But the guys were like, I'm just like running and talking to them. And they're like, you should take off your jacket. You're going to be warm. (laughs) I'm like, okay. So I like take off my jacket and throw it in a tree. And we're talking and I'm like, yeah, I just ran the marathon like six days ago. (laughs) Just like told them what had happened. And you're like, who are you? I just like kept running and I was like I'm just gonna run at like a comfortable pace like I didn't have a watch so I just jogged and um next thing I know like they're getting tired so I just keep going and so I listened to a better than before on my on my, <laughs> my book I love that book <laughs> I know, it's so fun. um and then at 50k I switched to my music but at 50k it got hot and it got hard but someone gave me a salt tab, and that really helped. But I just drank water, ate candy, listened to books and music. That's why ultra marathoning rocks, man. You get to like yes. listen to books and eat candy all day. <laughs> so at this point, are you like, this is why people run? Yeah, I think I just felt it's how I can make sense of the world. You know, you just mm-hmm. you have so much time to think and like obviously there's endorphins and and the community was awesome and I was like oh this is doesn't like suck like 5k's and 10k's like they suck <laughs> like they hurt mm-hmm. we're like ultra marathoning like often your like knee will get sore like my knee kind of got sore but like I didn't have that like I want to vomit feeling well ultra marathoning sucks in my experience but you're so high on endorphins yeah you don't even realize that it sucks it's so true it's so true yeah so RRL, you won that race. You went ahead to qualify for Team Canada. Tell us about that. I remember hearing about this. I lived on the island at that time. And I was just like, look left, look right, like WTF. Who is this person? Like, where did she come from? And what just happened? So tell us what happened next. That race happened to be like the national qualifiers. And Armand, he like came up to me afterwards. And he like, you know, you just ran. I ran eight hours, 29 minutes, one pace wonder. I'm still one pace wonder. I ran the exact same splits for all 10 kilometers. All splits were the exact same. Um, A true track athlete. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Um, And he's like, you know, you qualified a standard. We'll be in touch with you if you want to go to world championships in the Netherlands in September. I remember calling my mom and like, she's like, oh my gosh, I'm so happy to hear from you. Like you're alive. You're okay. And I'm like, mom, I don't know what just happened. I was like, I qualified for Team Canada. I guess there's like a championships. I was like clueless. So I qualified for Team Canada and uh, went that year. I had an awful, awful first time at racing. I got a lung infection on the plane. I dropped out at 60K. I could not breathe. But it was interesting because that race, I was like, oh my gosh, I know what I'm doing. I'm going to have a race plan. I'm going to wear a watch. I'm going to bring gels. I'm going to fuel. I'm going to do it textbook style. And it's like fast and it's competitive. It's on a road. I started out way too fast, especially given like I was like so sick. That race was horrible. Obviously, I didn't finish. And I had a hip injury when I came back because obviously like I just ran a marathon and 200 K's in like six months of each other and had zero buildup in mileage. Like, of course, I'm going to have an injury. I had this like whole new identity now because I was like, oh, my gosh, I guess I'm kind of good at this ultra marathoning stuff. I'm like 22 at the time, which is super young. 
to be an ultra marathon athlete. Exactly. So it's yeah. like, I came to Alberta and stayed with some family here for a little bit. Ultra marathons definitely gained a lot more traction over the last few years. But back then it wasn't. And I had like random people from Alberta like message me because some of the people who were on Team Canada were actually from Alberta. Anyways, I, I met a friend, Joanna, she like took me on my first mountain run. So that's sort of her and I like buddied up. And that's how I got into more of like the trail running and mountain running. I knew I wanted to go back and do 100k. But I also wanted to try all this other stuff. So like, I'm pretty sure that year I like bought cross country skis, I bought a bike, I was gonna do an Ironman, half Ironman, <laughs> like, I was gonna start obstacle course racing, I was just gonna do it all. I just didn't want to just run, I want to do it all. <laughs> So, um, which was part of like in high school, I was, I played like eight sports a year. Like I remember I didn't really just like running. So now I just didn't want to run anymore. I want to do everything else. But it sounds like you found yourself in this like container of people, like just that whole community you reference, yeah. like the, the ultra community, like something about that community and living in Alberta and having these mountains to climb and obstacle course racing was coming onto the scene. Like it just almost blossomed right in front of you, it sounds like. Yes, it kind of like everything started to make sense again. And by this point, I was healthy again. Like I think when I started racing 5Ks, like I, w- I still was getting there. Like I was getting better, but I was not there. And then I think when I got into ultra marathoning was when I was like back to being Ariel again. Mm-hmm. That makes me like I had my health, you know, like I, I felt confident in my skin, like all of it all started to come together. And ultra marathoning is kind of like it was sort of like my long jump and triple jump. Like when I was doing long jump and triple jump, I was healthy and confident. So that's why I enjoyed it. And then 5Ks and 10Ks, I was working on it. And then I was there with ultra marathoning, right? And then the, it kind of all came together. <clears throat> but now it's interesting because it's like a push pull because I'm like kind of want to get faster and do more 5Ks, 10Ks and shorter stuff. But my whole life's in the ultra marathoning world. And it's right. really hard to be like, no, I can't go and play in the mountains for four hours because I need to do a 90 minute run. Like it's mm-hmm. really like it's hard to to choose. It's hard to train for both. You you have to yeah. choose. If I really want to get faster at the shorter stuff, I really have to reduce my mileage. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's just, from a lifestyle standpoint, doesn't really work for me. So that's kind of up until 2015, 2016. Yeah. Yeah. What, what's been going on since 2016? We were talking about the community, right? And the community here, so there's Mito Canada. Um, they're a huge non-for-profit organization. Um, and they raise money for mitochondrial disease research. And a lot of the people involved with that, it's like they're stellar runners. It's a huge running community there. And they decided to do this charity run in 2016. Their goal was to break six Guinness World Records at the Calgary Marathon Expo. So I agreed to run. They did like a relay event with the men, a relay event with the women. Then they did, Dave Proctor ran for went for the 12 hour and the 24 hour record most miles run on a treadmill and then I was going to go for the fastest 50k and the fastest 100k on the treadmill that year was also going to be world championships in December so I was like okay it's perfect I can race like uh instead of going and doing elk beaver again as like a a race I could do the treadmill 100k as like a practice run to get another one under my belt and then go and race world championships in December for 100k so I was successful and I broke the two records but it was the darkest place I've ever been to in my entire life a hundred kilometers on a treadmill I can't even I watched some of the footage from that and it was like unbelievable what you did but I just you need to talk to us about 100k on a treadmill please so 50k was fun it was easy it was fun Mm -hmm. like I I still to this day I'm like I'm gonna go back and break the 50k my 50k record because what did you do it in I think it was like 351 so it was like sub four hours but it was my it was my 50k split of my 100k right so I couldn't like go super hard and then I was like back to just like thinking so much about the fueling I was like trying to eat this different foods and like trying to make sure I still had enough in me when knowing like I've run 100 kilometers on like gummy worms and salt tabs like I'm totally capable of I don't know my stomach went so south on 50k 
it was awful. I remember like thinking to myself, and it's funny because I was talking to <laughs> talking to my friends like who were crewing me afterwards, and they were like, "Yeah, at one point we were like looking for crash mats in case you like flew off the back of the tent." Oh, wow! I was just like, "I'm not gonna press stop, but I'm not sure if I can keep going because like." my stomach was so sick I remember listening to like how bad do you want it on your on my iPad yes, like, Matt Fitzgerald. Yes. yeah um, listen to that one and I was just like oh it was it was brutal like I remember just how much longer do I have to go I was just irritated by everything like it was awful and then Dave who had been running for like over 12 hours at this point like looked at me and was like, finish what you started. And I was like, okay, I got to finish. And so what did you do the 100K in and what was the record before that? So I don't think there was a record before because mm. no one's crazy enough to run. <laughs> I think it was like 8.39 or it wasn't my faster of my faster times, but it was, I like didn't, I didn't eat anything for the last 50K. I could not keep anything like I was like swishing with ginger ale, which I later learned. This is another funny side story. My friend went to go buy me ginger ale because I was like, I need, I, I don't feel good. Like I need something because it's hot on treadmills too. So she went out, but she didn't have enough coins. So some homeless guy on the street, like she explained the story and he gave her some coins <laughs> to buy my ginger ale. It's <laughs> like, oh my gosh. Ariel, you have the best story. You do. Oh my goodness. <laughs> You know, you say you went to a super dark place. You know, if it were easy, everybody would do it, right? Like, you have to go to those places to accomplish incredible things. That's what I love. I love finding strength at, like, the shittiest points. Mm -hmm. And I think, like, it's kind of, like, been an analogy for my life is, like, when it's really shitty, it's, like, when I'm actually my strongest. Like, when I think about when I was, like, in the hospital pretty much near hospital with my health I was actually the strongest like mm-hmm. I've always enjoyed like, finding that strength that's the mentality I carried into ultra running so talk to us a little bit about OCR I, I know that's a big part of your story yes so I started obstacle course racing one of my friends I met the first time I ran at world championships we really connected so I road tripped with her to crew one of her friends in the 24-hour obstacle course racing event world's toughest mutter and that's where I was like oh my gosh I love this sport I was like this is like athleticism and running like combined in one world and again back to like how I didn't really like just running I think that's I was like I just like the idea of being able to bring like that strength component and the athleticism component into into it so I signed up for some (laughs) my first Spartan race was the same year I was doing the treadmill stuff and I did like 240 burpees I signed up for the elite race like I'm like sure whatever I'll just do this failed nearly every obstacle but managed to like still qualify to be able to go to worlds like I got top five so I was able to like move on to the the next thing and then uh similar to elk beaver it was like okay who is this girl so I raced I didn't I raced a few races in the circuit um, and I remember I did my second race was in Red Deer and then I did a race in I went back to Ontario to do a race there and I did well the first day and then I remember standing in the porta potty line on the second day and like everyone was like did you know that girl has two Guinness World Records and like people had gone home and googled my name and I was like this is so embarrassing. Did that affect you? Did it alter your mental state or were you able to just let it brush off? I, I would just let it brush off. I won that race on the Sunday and had like a better race, but this sounds super vain, but like obstacle course racing like was one of the first things that never came easy to me. The theme song in my head was always like, I get knocked down, but I get up again. Like it was just never easy. Ultra marathoning, I showed up, I like qualified for Team Canada and like it was not necessarily easy, but it was natural. Mm-hmm. This was one of those things where I was like, oh my God, this is like, I have to work hard to like do well at this. And I think that's sort of what's kind of kept me in the sport is like, I still fail all these obstacles. And it's just like, I'm still, I'm still fly on the, under the radar, dark horse in the sport. Last year, I had a really inconsistent year. 
I think I like being the dark horse is actually probably where why I switch sports all the time is because I like when no one knows who I am and I can just like show up at one race and show up at the next in a completely different sport. So North Americans last year, obviously a lot of my career has been linear. So when I got into obstacle course racing, it's like trail running. So I had a bit of like mountain experience, but it was trail running. It was a lot of upper body as well. So I just like rolled ankles, blown out knees, like shoulder injuries. I just feel like the last two years I've been, haven't been able to string together much consistency. But yeah, last year at North Americans was like the first time I felt like I could execute a race and I failed four obstacles in the first three miles. Like it was just not a good race, but then, but it was a 13 mile race, just over 13 miles. So the second half of the race was my strong suit. So I was able to like gain a lot of ground and I was ended up finishing fifth in this race and the top girls who beat me were like some of the best girls in the world. And I just remember crossing the finish line and the guy's like, who are you? (laughs) Here we go again. So I was hoping to have a good world championships last year. The year before I finished 13th at world championships and this year I knew like I was could perform much better than that unfortunately the conditions were awful and I made mistakes early so did a lot of girls and there's a lot of people being pulled off the course for hypothermia and that's what happened to me <laughs> so how cold was it on the course that day? well it was funny because they delayed the course two hours due to snow and ice we're in Lake Tahoe North Tahoe it's nice it's beautiful it's a snowstorm and I'm yeah, it's like, high. It's super high. Yeah. And so I'm just like, okay, that's fine. We're fully capable of racing in the cold. We're not capable of running around with wet hair and swimming in this weather. Um, right. And you can't, like, carry a pack. And, you know, you have very minimal gear. So it wasn't impossible. It just, like, it was unfortunate because, like, people come from Mexico and, like, all over the world who've never seen snow before. And this is their first experience at World Championships. I failed the ape hanger and I got completely submerged in cold water. And the penalty for that was to roll around in the snow, pretty much. You had to do this low crawl. So you're soaking wet and you're rolling in the snow and it's like a snowstorm outside. So it's just like a recipe for disaster. So I always joke like my World Championships ended in a porta potty having a bags tied to my feet because like I was so cold Uh, oh my goodness what have you learned from all these like lows and setbacks and dnfs and injuries and hypothermia like what and reinventing yourself yeah 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 talk to us about sort of what you've taken away from each one of these quote-unquote lows one of my favorite quotes is like ever tried ever fail no matter what try again fail again fail better and I just like over the years become fascinated with failure and like because every time I fail like I learn so much more and it motivates me more and it's almost like I've never liked success because success scares me more than failure does Mm. um like as soon as I succeed it's kind of it's been like a reoccurring theme it's like I want to go do something else and then right. fail, fail at something else and learn that sport versus like continue on, which is something I've worked on as well. It's just like it's part of the reason I've stayed in obstacle course racing like two years. I'd say like it's been a lot of like I want to go back to ultra running. Like there's been a huge pull to go back to ultra running like all the time. In the last two years, I've really tried to like work on my strength and my speed and not go back to ultra running because my 50k 50k is my favorite distance I've wanted to work on like maybe like going after the Canadian record for 50k or going back but it's just like there's such a strong pull to go back and I I don't want to do it because I feel like I haven't accomplished what I wanted to in obstacle course racing Mm -hmm. so I think like when it comes to failure like one of the things I've learned from like all the highs and lows is like obviously know your why know why you're doing something it's something I've learned later on I've never really known why I was doing I just kind of did monkey see monkey do and not really known why but when you know your why it's a lot easier to do it don't be scared to fail so many times I just like don't want to show up and like I don't want to do something because a few more weeks of training I'll be better 
another training block, I'll be better. I'll be, you know, it's always like this fear to show up and perform um, because you don't feel you're quite there yet. Where just like practicing, just like showing up and like allowing yourself to fail. Like if you show up all the time and you succeed, you're not going to learn anything. But if you show up and you like go out too hard, you'll learn. You'll never do it again. For somebody your age, like in her 20s, to have that amount of self-awareness is just mind-blowing because it takes people decades to learn these things. And you've learned them, you know, in the first quarter of your life. And all through this podcast, it's interesting you say like you've embraced failure because I've, I've thought for the last 30 minutes, my God, she makes failure sound sexy. Like this is exactly <laughs> what you want to do is you want to fail. So you can be like Ariel. <laughs> like, <laughs> Uh, you didn't see me on the side of a mountain in a porta potty. It's not- <laughs> <laughs> oh well, I know, I know you've got to um, head out here soon, and I, I really, we, we both really appreciate all of the time that you've spent with us so far. But maybe you could just sum up, like, where are you, what's next for you, what are you looking forward to? Who I'm. Really excited to work on some speed. Uh, Caroline and I were talking about this beforehand, and we were talking about sort of like how sometimes races, like you underperform at certain distances. And I've always felt like I've underperformed at like 5Ks and 10Ks. So I'm trying my best to give some attention to those distances right now. So I'm looking forward to just like doing some more speed work and shorter stuff. Mm. However, I do feel like when you're young, you is your only chance really to develop speed. Not your only chance, but it's it's easier. And yep. uh, Carolyn's brother has always been like a very good mentor for me. And it was funny, I was home running with him and he's like telling me how he's training for like short, like 1500 meter races. And I was like, why? And he's like, well, because I want to hang on to being able to develop speed for as long as I can. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's sort of where I'm at is like, like I hate, I hate those distances. So I'm like, maybe I should do it. Um, <laughs> well, it sounds like that formula has worked for you in the, yeah. in the yeah. past, right? Like just go, go to the unknown, go to the thing yeah. that you, you don't know if you're good at it. I'm really not str- like, anyways, I shouldn't say I'm not strong, but they're definitely hard for me. Um, we all have the things that challenge us. For yeah. Sure. yeah. Yeah. It's that lactic acid feeling. I don't like it. Like yeah. I just shut off. um and I think it is we were also talking about like Carolyn how you're saying like eating a lot more carbs to fuel Mm -hmm. your performance so with IBS like you're really sensitive like I'm really sensitive to carbohydrates so I've always kind of gravitated towards more of like the lower fat but Mm -hmm. I can't get that upper end gear on a low fat diet or low carb diet so that's like a whole other learning process and I've just kind of been trying to focus on like getting that carb availability up so I can try and work on some of this speed and power. Mm-hmm. Um, and it takes a lot of mental stuff, but with no like races, it's good because you can like play with it and see where it goes. So that's sort of where I've just been landed. I will go down the road of OCR, probably pick up some of those 2020 goals. If no uh, OCR events happen in 2021, I will probably go for a uh, 50K on the treadmill. Just, <laughs> just be like a total pendulum swing. But uh, that's probably where I'll end up if, if there's no races. But uh, we'll wait and see. <laughs> I'm, I'll be excited to, uh, to watch virtually if that happens. But yeah. that's oh, yeah. great. Yeah. Well, we have a few end of the podcast questions. Do you have time for those? Yes, let's do them. Okay. First question. Do you have a favorite mantra? I do. One of them I already listed, the ever tried, ever fail. But my second one is comparison is the theft of joy. Mm, I love that one. It's like my, I just like keep that one in my back pocket all the time. And it's interesting how, especially in the world of social media, how much we compare. I know this is not going to be a rapid fire because I could analyze this quote, but we compare ourselves to everyone. And we don't, we like completely lose like that self-reflection. What is your favorite place to run, Ariel? Where would you run tomorrow if you could just be dropped anywhere on the planet? Oh, I'm spoiled because I live in the Rockies. I'd go to the Kananaskis. It's just beautiful. Um, K-country. 
Yeah, love the kids. Such a gift to live there. It is. It's just every day is a good day, except that it's winter all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Makes you stronger, baby. Yeah. <laughs> do you have a run on top of your bucket list? I wanted to do uh, world championships in Abu Dhabi this year. I think that would be really interesting. It'd be the opposite of Tahoe and like really hot on sand dunes. So I think that's one of my bucket list races is just to, especially like I've never been to that part of the world. So it'll be a pretty cool experience. And then just like all these things you can't control that you can normally control when you're racing, like environment, food environments, like sleeping environments, like it'll be a totally new experience. I was actually there at Christmas time and uh, yeah, sea level, hot, incredibly stinking humid, (laughs) totally the opposite of Tahoe, but totally a challenge. That's awesome. Okay. So what is your favorite running book or movie if you're not much of a reader? McFarlane for movie. Ah, Yes. I just love that story. I love that movie. And then book would be um, Born to Run. Classic. (laughs) Two perfect answers. Yeah. And finally, do you have a favorite post-run indulgence? I like a good bunless burger with sweet potato fries. Oh, yeah. It's like my go-to. You and Trevor and Elise, my kids would get along. (laughs) (laughs) So thank you so much for your time tonight. Where can people find you? I'm on Instagram, ArielFitz22. Okay. Go check out area like your social media again. I'll, I'll try not to compare because we know comparison is the thief of joy. But wow, you've got some phenomenal pictures of all of your adventures up there. And it's really, really fun to to keep up with you there. So definitely go go check Ariel out. Oh, my goodness. Thank you so much for your for your time. I enjoyed this chat so much catching up with you. I just love your carefree, fun-loving approach to life and everything that you do and just your your willingness to learn, to try new things and just to keep rocking it. We will be so excited to keep following your adventures for many, many years to come. So thank you both ladies for having me and keep doing awesome things too. Bye Ariel. Thank you. It's been a total pleasure. <laughs>